The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about homelessness, and it's such an important issue in our society. And people who are homeless have absolutely no privacy. And I thought this is a time, it's a time of the year for us to think about others, to think about how we can have a better society, how we can help other people and other people in need. So I'm thrilled to have us talk with Glenn Dunsweller, who's a filmmaker, a producer, a professional speaker, former college professor, whose documentary, Why Homeless, is something that I think will be very helpful to us to kind of understand the issue because it's it's hidden out in the open. You know, we all hide it in places, but it is really out in the open, and it affects us as a society. Um. So this uh, documentary, Why Homeless, is available on Amazon Prime, and his books, his book, uh, Things I've Learned from the Homeless, is available on Amazon Kindle. Glenn's interest in homelessness in the United States arose after his own career as a live event production designer and college professor hit a snag. And while furloughed in 2008 from his job at UC Riverside, he faced the real possibility of becoming, um, of living without a home when he could not pay his own mortgage. And then he, he made a call to his bank and they were not very helpful to him. The bank would not even talk to him about renegotiating his payments until he actually stopped making those payments. And a lot of people have heard the same story when they've had that issue. He was mortified and he realized that he had to make him, you know, make himself uh, financially stable, but he was financially vulnerable and potentially, you know, subjecting himself to homelessness. So he became curious about, you know, who does become homeless and why. And since his book launch, he has been interviewed on radio over a dozen times in his new YouTube series, Skid Row Speakers, aims to share inspiration from the homeless. You can find out more about Glenn at privacypiracy.org, where we link to his website, glennduzweller.com. I'm going to spell that, G-L-E-N-D-U-Z-W-E-I-L-E-R.com. Glenn, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. So tell us, um, what did you learn? Why 
Why do people even become homeless in this society that's supposed to be not third world? People come to homelessness for many different reasons. Some people lose a loved one. That was their support system. Some people lose their job. Some people go into a Great Depression. Some people are escaping an abusive relationship. There are just really so many reasons why a person is driven out onto the street or in a shelter or into their car. And the the variables are so many. You just think of all the variables of every person that you know and just put that population without a home, and it's that varied. It really isn't one answer. And sometimes it's drug addiction, sometimes it's mental illness, sometimes it's just job loss. Mm, So terrible. You know, we were just recently in Greece, in Athens, and I have to tell you that I see more people homeless in L.A. than I saw in Athens, and we were all over the city. So I don't understand that. And then we were in Puerto Vallarta, and again, I didn't see anyone homeless. We were all over the place. We had a car. We didn't see homeless anywhere. And I don't, I don't know if they're hidden somewhere else, but it just amazes me in L.A., in Santa Ana, Right, you know, when um, when I go to the courthouse until just recently, there was a huge homeless encampment where they wouldn't even put uh, toilets, you know, portable toilets out there. But everyone who had to go to the courthouse, attorneys, you know, clients, people who had to face trial for whatever, that they were you know, exposed to what was going on in this homeless area where there were stabbings, there was uh, all sorts of, you know, mess from from people defecating on the sidewalk there. It was, um, it was really horrible. And then, of course, the, the federal judge said, you know, you have to help these people. So we are in the process of helping them. But this is a, a huge problem in our country. And why do you think that is? It really has to go with our life viewpoint and the way we have taught ourselves to be sustainable. And I think that if you don't earn money enough to live in this country, you that to us that is a marker of failure as you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah. Sorry, there was... Oh, no, there's a, a, another line. So I think that there's that, that that's in the marker, and there's an expectation that people can take care of themselves. Or that and, they should be able to take care of themselves no matter yeah, what, right? Yeah, they should be able to yeah. take care of themselves. And kind of this uber-independence that we have. And that kind of feeds into, that viewpoint feeds into a really uncaring situation. If you cannot provide for yourself, if for some reason you cannot make enough money to put shelter over your head, then it's your problem. And then we just kind of allow you to spill out onto the street. Yeah. 
And, you know, one of the things that you talk about is, you know, this is really, we, we can try and hide this, right, by moving them, you know, into some motels for a while or a whole, uh, setting up a shelter or something, and then they're back out on the street if they, if they can't stay there. But, but let's talk about what that means really to the entire community. How does that cause problems for all of this? Right. So, can you so it can cause problems? Sorry, can you ask that question again? Yeah, you know, I mean, I guess what I'm talking about is like, um, you know, if people can't eat, they can't sleep, they can't clean themselves, and then we end up with maybe a third world. Sure. Disease outbreaks, things like that, that affect us that people don't even really think about. But if there is, you know, unsanitary conditions, what happens, right? It can affect us and we all get these diseases that those are some of the things, right? Right. And and again, it's that, that tied to that high moral judgment that really doesn't... Uh, allow you to think, well, everyone has to go to the bathroom and everyone has to clean themselves. And if you don't have a way to do that on your own, it's going to affect me because you're just going to have to go to the bathroom. You don't have a choice if you're poor or you're rich. That's a bodily function. you, You don't get, you don't magically have a place to clean yourself you'll magically have a place to sleep. So it's just this natural progression of you have to do that in a public area because you don't have a private area. And we kind of stop at the idea that you're just supposed to take care of that. And if you don't take care of that, that's your problem. The pro- the, and the, the, the thing happens is the reality. Well, it becomes all of our problems because you, you have to sleep somewhere. You have to go to the bathroom somewhere. If you can't help someone that can't support themselves, it becomes all of our problems. Exactly, exactly. And then, of course, there's the morality of it all. I mean, do we really want people to be, you know, sleeping on the street and have these women subjected to to rape or um, to to murder, as we've seen in some of these homeless situations? So those are other things. Tell us about a little bit about some statistics that you found out about the homeless. Sure. So I am somewhat involved with National Coalition for the Homeless because they are a, an advocacy group that is not tied to a bottom line for anything. Because in capitalism, if you are a shelter, your ultimate need is for that shelter to be successful or if you are a certain nonprofit you you will you will gravitate towards things to the help your nonprofit tell the story and so uh, statistics are really hard to gather for homeless people because right. homeless people are people they're multiple variables they move around if they're good at being homeless that means they're good at hiding from people that want to see them and want to count them right. they're looking for privacy. The National Coalition for the Homeless says probably a third, from what they can gather, a third of the homeless are these stereotypical 
uh, addicted to drugs and or mentally ill. But that's kind of the the only statistic, one of the few statistics that they're they're comfortable kind of sticking to. The one thing about statistics that I really learned is I was talking to a police officer who was doing an official count, and he said for the city, and he said, "Well, the what we've come up with because homeless don't want to be found by us right. is if we see a shopping cart." that equals one homeless person. Mm. And if we see a tent, that equals two homeless people. And I, I just thought, this is how our statistics are built <laughs> on homelessness? Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. So does is there a real correlation between poverty and homelessness? It seems like there is, right? Yeah. Ultimately, it's, you don't have enough money to to pay for the most expensive thing in your life. Housing, mm-hmm. a permanent roof over your head is the most expensive thing that we pay for. And people say, well, homeless people, how do they have, how do they have smartphones? Well, a smartphone is much cheaper than an apartment. Right. And there, there are other factors that lead you to not have enough money for stable housing, like drug addiction, like depression, like families breaking apart. And in fact, that's my my huge diatribe is I realize that there are a lot of messed up families in the United States. And those families leave their family members hanging out without ability to have stable housing for many reasons, but really that's kind of the crux that I've found. And I keep pushing on that saying, really, if they're going to have messed up families, the community needs to become a, family. a surrogate family yeah. for, for these people. Otherwise they're just on the street. They're always on the street. They're always annoying you. You're always getting E. coli because they have nowhere to go to the bathroom. <laughs> I was yeah. just up in San Francisco, and it's it's literally insane everywhere I go because San Francisco doesn't have a place to put their homeless people. Right. It's such a small area. There's so many people there that it, you're in and among people that are mentally ill, that are just poor. You're in and among the filth. It's just right. constant. And... I think that drags everybody down. Right. Well, let's go back to that family issue. And I'm thinking now that maybe when we were in Greece and Athens, maybe the family structure is helping the family or maybe, you know, the, the, in Mexico, the, the Catholic family, um, that maybe they're helping people so that, that, that there is more of a family structure. I know so many of us live far from family. You know, I have, right. you know, even my kids, I have one kid in Boston and one kid in London, you know, and mm. all of my family from when I was growing up is in Chicago. So God forbid I were to become ho- homeless. You know, I don't have any family except my husband. So, of course, I have my church family, which helps, you know, because I'm, I'm good friends with those people. So, yeah, it seems like th- that family issue is that kind of glue that binds that people want to help their family. But we, we have this um, dis, 
the separation in families, right? Is that what's happening? We do. One of the things that I found, uh, there are very few Asian homeless people and there are very few Hispanic homeless people in the United States. Mm -hmm. And the reason I believe, and just from talking to people, is Asian people at some point uh, more recently have come from an impoverished country where the value of family and sticking together is is necessary for the survival of that family. Mm-hmm. Same with Hispanic. So when they get to the United States, no matter what, I don't care. They don't care if it's 15 people in a room. They're not going to let their family member go homeless. Right. And in the United States with the pick yourself up from your own bootstraps and when you're 18, go out and make your own you're mm-hmm. an adult, mm-hmm. that kind of viewpoint gets, gets, it causes a lot of people to, to monetarily fail and gets into depression and gets into lack of support and gets into things that, that have people end up out on the street. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense to me. So you talk about the solution to homelessness, homelessness being to embrace capitalism. What do you mean by that? So beyond our family, we in this country have to see a a value for our investment, that we are a capitalist society, whether we want to admit it or not, and some people push for socialism and social change, and that's great, but ultimately you need to see a reward for your investment. And uh, it's just that way with homeless programs. In order for them to sustain you as a person buying into being a community for these homeless people need to see a direct value, a a direct positive input on yourself for the investment that you're putting in someone else's, Mm -hmm. into someone else's life. So I talk about looking at fixing homelessness as a business transaction, as an entrepreneurial endeavor, and taking all of those business models of uh, of seeing how you how it can be a win-win situation and applying those to getting people off the street really for example my thing is I go I, I learn so much from homeless people that and they have huge knowledge because they know things once you've lived your life just hand to mouth you have nothing else you, you really understand what life is about. And I know they have something to teach. So I pay them for inspirational uh, stories because right. I know they have it in them. And that's worth something to me. And right. then that's worth something to us. So right. that, that kind of idea of, yeah, I'm going to give a guy five bucks, but in return, he's going to give me a little bit of knowledge that I can share with the world that shows himself and showed the world that he is worth something. Does that make sense? Yeah, and it gives him some dignity. I think in our society, especially what you've been talking about this whole time is that, you know, um, it, it's people hide their homelessness and people are embarrassed about their homelessness. And the sad thing is, is that they don't have much dignity. 
And so if, and, and so the negativity feeds on itself. And if you show the dignity, you're interested in their stories, you pay them for their stories, that's really giving them positive feedback and giving them back their dignity as well to be able to share their story, right? Yes, that's a huge component. If someone feels that they're worthless, they're going to be worthless. If they're treated as they're worthless, they're going to be worthless. If they're treated and feel like they're worth something, they then start to act as if they're worth something and start to contribute. I know. So there have been stories in the Orange County Register down here in Orange County, California, where we live, about um, how uh, Judge Carter, Federal Judge Carter, had been furious, you know, when he went down, there was the, you know, the riverbed, they were all living in the riverbed. And people were saying, Oh, we can't run there, we can't ride our bikes there. So he went in there and said, this and, and, you know, of course, it was feces everybody everywhere. And there was murders and everything. So he went in there and said, this is not acceptable. And anyway, they had uh, people that were put into giving them homes, like into motels and apartments and that. And the stories about people feeling so good about themselves that they could get up in the morning, take a shower, just take a shower, yeah. go to the bathroom and feel clean. That And, and then they were also helping them to get jobs. And a, yeah. a very um, large, I don't know, I don't know if it was a majority, but the, I would I think it was a majority of the people that were there were already getting jobs that were feeling good about themselves and really transforming their lives. Of course, those who were addicted and those who were mentally ill didn't have the same success stories, but those who were there because, um, you know, of maybe medical problems or divorce or death in the family and they didn't have anybody to support them, they were doing well. So it makes a lot of sense that we have to give them their dignity and have to empower them with whatever we can to help them to be uh, on their feet again, right? Absolutely. It's, it's, not, it's about the society not accepting homelessness. It's about the society saying, okay, this living on the riverbed thing is not working out. We, we're not going to do this. So how can we solve this. We, we a lot of times fixate on the problems and not the solutions. Right. And I think really this homelessness difficulty can get solved if we start focusing on what we can do instead of what we can't do. Yeah. For a while there, the Orange County Board of Supervisors was trying to set up places throughout Orange County instead of just at the <laughs> at the Orange County Courthouse area, which, you know, was right. the Civic Center. They said, okay, we're going to... And then there was an uproar, like in my community in Laguna Niguel, because they wanted to make a homeless encampment right in, by City Hall, which was right by the library that the kids go to to study, which was right by um, a... Uh, like a kinder care place, you know? Sure. I mean, you know, just like, let's move, let's spread this out and and let them be encamped there instead of looking at, like, how do we stop the homelessness by empowering these people? But they weren't doing that. Right. <laughs> it even, was stupid. homeless encampments, that's something that may have to happen. But you can triage those camp- encampments. You talk about it being next to kindergarten, uh, a school. Well, there are homeless children. So 
let's maybe put the homeless families in a place where the community feels safe with those types of homeless. But let's put the heroin addicts somewhere not by the children's schools. Right. Does that make sense? Where yeah. You start the triage stuff and really ask yourself, okay, do I support veterans? Okay, well, maybe I would feel comfortable with a homeless veteran shelter or encampment near me because I really care about giving back to someone that put their life on the line for me. Right, right. So who is advocating for the homeless? Like, you know, if they end up in the hospital, a lot of homeless people die on the street. They don't even get to the hospital. So, I mean, right. who who is really advocating for them in terms of medical care and, you know, getting off drugs and just, uh, you know, mental illness? Is, is I remember when they used to have, when I first moved to California, like, 30-something years ago, they had uh, community mental health, and there's no money for that anymore. So who is advocating for people with mental health issues and and drug issues, addiction, et cetera? Well, it all got decentralized, and all the the people who are advocating for homeless are advocates. They're nonprofit. There's not one huge entity. It's a whole bunch of small entities that are oftentimes driven by societal need and societal um, betterment. And uh, unfortunately, it's not a sustainable business. So they, they often burn out or they run out of money or they stop and start when they do have money to, to sustain. And then there's the advocacy is is marketing. So you think about, you know, when I make a film, the the production budget, the, the marketing budget is just as much as the production budget. So when you're talking about advocacy, you're talking about homeless marketing and who does the marketing and how does that happen and how mm-hmm. do we start to change people's hearts and minds right. beyond running the programs. And I think a lot of times we get bogged down into trying to run the programs. And unfortunately, because we don't have the marketing budget, the programs get shut down because they're near some population that gets worried about who these homeless people are. And even though they don't know who the homeless people are, because there's no marketing to tell the story, they think they know, and therefore it gets shut down. So I think the advocacy is a huge conundrum. Who does advocate for homeless people? Those dirty uh, poor people, because dirty and poor go together in a capitalist society. If you're poor, you're dirty. Well, if you if you're homeless, you're going to be dirty because you don't have any place to take a shower unless you go down by the beach and take an outdoor shower, right? Right. That's that's then, the, the the reality of it. So, I mean, yeah. are you approaching the like? the Gates Foundation or Facebook Foundation. That's, that's the next step to really take and and look at these large corporations and say, hey, it's publicity for you. It's public relations for you. Instead of billboards of Amazon, maybe we have, we have uh, toilets that are sponsored by Amazon and they should get the social leverage of saying, look at what we're doing for the community and going to the Gates Foundation and going to places that are that have this money that has to get spent on something, why not have it get spent on cleaning our cities up and giving them the credit for it? Right. Because 
if they put the money behind it, uh, I was just in Sacramento and a friend of mine was telling me how they were going to open up for four, four locations for bathrooms with, with attendance, but they couldn't get the, the funding approved. And I just thought, well, that's a lost opportunity because now that's remaining filth on the streets. Yeah. <laughs> so can we find that funding can, and, and absolutely give the credit to the companies that are making enough money to where they can say, we did this for you. You should continue to buy from us. Well, we are just about out of time, but for those of sure. us who are listening to you, and first of all, I honor you for the, all that you're doing, Glenn. What can you tell me and my listeners to do to help with this situation as an individual? What can we do? Absolutely. Easiest thing, look a homeless person in the eye in your neighborhood. Say hello to them. Give them that dignity of being a human being. Secondly, work locally. If you personally don't have the resources to help the homeless in your neighborhood, find the nonprofits that are trying to help the homeless in your neighborhood. Keep it small. Keep it manageable. Try and find your value for your investment and go invest in that nonprofit. But you have to see a direct result for your work. Otherwise, you'll burn out and get tired and just get mad at all the homeless people. Right. Well, we are just out of time. So, Glenn, I want to just have you give your website. And thank you so much for all you're doing for the homeless. Could you just do that for us? Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Glenn. Dunsweiler.com, G-L-E-N-D-U-N-Z-W-E-I-L-E-R.com. Okay, thank you for all your great work, and please stay in touch with us, okay? Thank, thank you, you so much. Bye-bye. You've been, li- you've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org in the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 o'clock and visit our website at privacypiracy.org. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide.